0: You're listening to the Heal Better Fast podcast dedicated to bridging the gap between alternative healthcare and mainstream medicine in utilizing everything good to help you feel great. We're glad you tuned in.
1: Now here's your host, Dr. Michael Pound.
0: Dr. Jason Karp is a running and fitness expert and exercise physiologist, and he's creator of the Revolutionary Running. In our interview today, we talk about what it takes to do your first run, how to make time in a busy schedule for running hidden benefits of running, and even how to select the right shoe. Please welcome Dr. Jason Karp. All right, welcome to the show today, Dr. Karp. I'm happy to have you on.
1: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: You come very highly recommended by a mutual client of ours who is a a big-time runner. And so uh, since I have a lot of people who listen who do run, um, I really wanted to have someone come on who's an expert, and you have accomplished a lot in your life, including PhD or an exercise physiologist. You've created, you've tr- you you now train trainers of, of running, and you've written a, a ton of books. So we'll get into that in a moment. But tell me a little bit about how you got into running and and how how that became a passion of yours.
1: Well, it started with a race around the track in sixth grade, and uh, ever since then. I just became very interested in the science of athletic performance and it wasn't even just running, it was other sports as well. I grew up playing baseball in New York and New Jersey and uh, I was just fascinated by the science of athletic performance and what elite athletes can do and how they do it. And so I was kind of placed on a yellow brick road that I'm still following all these years later. I knew when I was a kid what field I wanted to pursue. I wasn't necessarily sure about what form it would take. I didn't know exactly what I would be doing in that field. But I knew that I wanted to study the science of exercise and of athletic performance, and so I was very particular about where I went to school. I wanted to study under the best, and and uh, you know I've just been following this yellow book road ever since. And so I'm I'm glad that I've been able to create a career out of something I'm deeply passionate about.
0: You know, I think that's, that's excellent. I actually, I remember it was the 4th of July and I deci- I told my family, we're not going to sit around and just spend another holiday just sitting around waiting, you know, for the fireworks. So I got them up early. Uh, I have four boys. I drug everyone to the, uh, a race, a 4th of July race that I had looked up. And we did a little, uh, a diddle, little run on that 4th of July and there was a lot of complaining about waking everyone up. There was a lot of complaining on the way up that they didn't have the right shoes or whatever. And no one, none of them had ever done any, any sort of organized race before. But once everyone did it, they had this kind of like uh, feeling of accomplishment, right? And, you know, my younger boys were trying to beat each other in the race. And so all of a sudden there's this level of competition and accomplishment. And it became, uh, became a family tradition. We've done it uh, several years in a row now. And, uh, as well as many other races,
1: oh very much so. I mean, I think that's why people often use running as a metaphor for life, and why people are so drawn to something like a marathon because of what it represents and and how it uh, fulfills us and gives us that sense of accomplishment.
0: now, I'm sure you have plenty of clients in all different phases of of their running career. Uh, what would you say to those people who maybe? are just getting started and uh, are are a little bit overwhelmed by the, the thought of uh, running long distances or running in a race.
1: Yeah, usually what I tell them is not to think about the, the whole race and to break it up in parts. And when someone's new to running, you know, it's perfectly fine to mix walking and running at first, and that's what enables people to be able to run longer. No one, can, no one's expected to just walk out the door and go run for an hour the very first time they run. Most people can't do that, and that's perfectly fine. But uh, if you mix walking and run, so maybe the first time you walk for five minutes and you run for one minute and you keep alternating that for 30 minutes, then you can stay outside longer, and then, you know, the body's very adaptable, and, and especially when you're not fit, you can see improvements in fitness very quickly and so people don't get overwhelmed and they just start mixing walking and running and then over time they'll be able to walk less and run more and then before you know it you're running for the whole time i have many stories of that and in one of my books run your fat off i include stories from people who lost a lot of weight for running and they were all like that when they first started running they couldn't run for more than a minute without stopping but then they they kept at it and then they ended up becoming marathoners and even ultra marathoners and they never would have thought that they could have done that when they first started running. But the human body is very good at adapting to stimulus.
0: Now, speaking of that, speaking of Run Your Fat Off, uh, tell us a little bit about that book and uh, and essentially the benefits of running that you've seen, as well as maybe some of the pitfalls.
1: All right. Well, I wanted to write a weight loss book that focused on running as the method to lose weight and especially to keep it off because... You know, There's so many diet books out in the market and most of them fail because they don't have a sustainable strategy. And so people go on these diets, they can lose weight initially, but then they can't keep it off for the next 30, 40 years of your life. And that's really the goal. Who cares if you lose weight if you're just gonna gain it right back? That's pointless. The whole goal is to lose the weight and keep it lost. And so you have to come up with a strategy that is sustainable for the rest of your life. And running is perhaps the most sustainable strategy because it's not something that people just start and then stop, they get so caught up in the lifestyle, they get caught up in the community of it, they get caught up in the atmosphere, they get caught up in in how it fulfills them on the inside. And so, and also the research is pretty clear about this, that in order to lose weight, nutrition has a greater effect initially to get the weight off your body, but then exercise, especially aerobic exercise like running, is the best strategy to keep it off forever. And so that's why gave me the idea to write this book is that I wanted to to give people the sustainable strategy of how to use running to keep the weight off for the rest of your life. And I include these unbelievable stories that frame the chapters in the book of of people that I found who have lost a lot of weight through running. And as I say at the end of the book, that all throughout writing the book, I thought that I was the one providing the inspiration to people. But then after reading all these people's stories, I realized that really they're the ones because they're the ones who have lost over a hundred pounds and have kept it off, which is not an easy thing to accomplish. But because of the power of running and what it does for people, they were able to do it. And and now running is a, a huge part of who they are. It's how they identify themselves. And that's not the way it began for any of them. So it's just remarkable stories that are woven through the book. I'm glad I had the opportunity to include these other people in the book.
0: And I'm glad you brought that up because I'm sure you've had people who have had pitfalls during their training, and and that can definitely set someone back, and, it, and I've seen it with my patients. It gets frustrating, and it doesn't necessarily have to be like a running injury. They could have a shoulder or neck problem and just not feel like running that day, and then and then it kind of leads to uh, different things like the holidays or they just start getting busy or something at work, and they'll find themselves... Um, kind of overwhelmed and again, falling, feeling like they're falling behind and maybe they don't want to start over again. So tell me a little bit about maybe some examples you have of how to motivate people through that and maybe some people who've gone through that and what's, what's helped turn the corner.
1: Sure. Well, one thing, especially this time of year, is pretty fitting that uh, one thing to remember is that any one day or any one meal is not going to mess up the whole plan. And so, as long as you keep the long-term goal in mind, then you not you don't beat yourself up so much when you fall off the wagon for a day or even for a week. I mean you've got to look at this in a long term through a long-term lens and always keep in mind what your goal is and that's true for anything in life that if you have a big goal, then that's what keeps you on track. that's what keeps you you know that's what the uh, controls your behavior, when you remember what's important to you and what you want to accomplish, then that will dictate the decisions and choices that you make throughout the day and throughout the week and throughout the month. And, and uh, you know, I've even seen it with myself. You know, I've been running six days a week for 34 years. And most people, when I tell them that, they're like, oh, my God, how do you do that? And well, it's because I have goals. You know, I want to be a better runner and, and it's a part of who I am. And so what I find is that when people make their goals who they are, rather than something they do, then that's the best strategy, because that's what really keeps you on track and motivated to do what needs to be done to meet those goals.
0: Yeah, expand on that a little bit about what you mean by making the goals who you are, not what you do.
1: Well, I think that uh, really gets to the heart of why people have so much trouble losing weight and keeping it off, because... And even exercise in general, they see exercise as something that they have to do. Most people don't want to exercise. They see it as something they have to do rather than who they are. And I believe that most goals will fail when you view it that way. If you make the exercise who you are, if you make the process of of reaching these goals, who you are rather than something you have to do, then there's no problem in motivating yourself and staying disciplined and being devoted to the goal. And that's not an easy thing to accomplish if, if it's not natural, because you have to find something about the process that matches your personality rather than do something you know, because people aren't going to do what they want to do. People don't want to do what they don't want to do and then, then they don't do it. And that's the reason most people don't exercise because they don't really want to do it. And so if there's something about the goal, something about whether it's weight loss or training for a marathon or whatever the goal is, if there's something about that, it may not be the whole thing, but if there's just one piece of that that you can associate your personality to, then you're putting a, a you know, a circle peg in a circle hole rather than trying to put a square peg in a circle hole. People are always trying to put this square peg in a circle hole and that doesn't work. And that's why most people fail. You got to find something about what it is you're working on. Like I said before, regardless of what the goal is, something about what you're working on that matches who you are as a person. And when you can do that, then everything else falls into place.
0: I I work in a pain practice. And, and I have plenty of patients come in who feel like they are defined by their injury, that they're broken, that maybe they went to their orthopedic surgeon and they said, you can't run anymore because you have a disc bulge. Now I'm sure you've come across people like this. How do you help people to overcome that definition of being an injured person and, and quite frankly, not, not uh, being told that they can't run?
1: Well, you're talking to one of those people, and this is actually a subject I address in one of my other books, The Inner Runner, because that's the, the I guess, the negative side of doing something that you define as who you are, is that when that thing is taken away from you, it, you don't feel the same person anymore, and that's the way I've been my whole life. I completely define myself through running, and when I was younger, I defined myself through how quickly I ran. And uh, that can be self-defeating because either when you get injured or you get sick or even now as I'm getting a little older and I'm not as fast as I used to be, you know, it. it I feel it on a personal level. And so uh, that's a much more difficult question to answer because somehow people need to disassociate who they are from the activity that they do. You know, yes, we're runners and yes, people define themselves through running, but that is not who we are in our totality. Running is just one part of who we are. And uh, I can really associate that with myself because there have been times in my life where it has hurt me, where I don't feel as good about myself if I don't run as fast as I think I should be running or if for some reason running is taken away from me because of an injury or an illness And maybe that's part of the addiction. You know, a lot of runners, including myself, are are addicted to running and and what it does for them. And So there's not an easy answer to that question, but I guess the answer is to look at running as only a part of who you are. And it, it doesn't define your totality, that you are more than just your running, that you're still a good person, you're still a value, even if you can't physically get out the door and run.
0: Now, I see you've ha- also been a part of uh, the writing series Running a Marathon for Dummies. And so I have plenty of patients or clients who try to get to the point where they are running their first marathon and and can say it's it seems like it's quite it's quite thrilling and exciting leading up to that point. And then sometimes after that, maybe they'll run some more marathons or maybe they'll cut back to more of a half marathon. But is running long distances, sustainable over long periods of time when we're talking about uh, the aging population?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think very much so. I I think that's one of the main things that distinguishes us from all other mammals is that humans are specifically built, we evolved for long endurance activities, specifically running. And so... Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't recommend someone run a marathon every month for the next 30 years of their life. That might be a little excessive, but definitely endurance is something that we are made to do. And there are plenty of older people running marathons. And in fact, as we get older, what we tend to lose more of is our speed versus our endurance. We can hold on to our endurance capabilities for quite some time. It's the speed that that we uh, lose more quickly than the endurance. So yes, to that question, I would say definitely yes, that that running long distances is something that people can do for the rest of their entire lives.
0: Now, the thing I like about running is you don't need very much equipment, right? You can do it almost any time in almost any environment. And I've seen runners running in the snow. I've seen runners running in the rain, in the sun you know, on the beach. And so how does one make the proper shoe choice? And where should someone go to get evaluated if that's uh, what you believe they should do?
1: Yeah, I mean, shoes are pretty easy to find out what kinds you need and just go to any specialty running shoe store. And there's only three main categories of shoes. Uh, The uh, cushioning, which is what most of the population gets, the stability and then motion control for people who excessively overpronate and need a shoe that controls their foot strike. But for the most part, unless you have the wrong pair of shoes for your running mechanics, shoes are not the, the cause. It's not the root cause of why somebody's getting injured Of course, if you put a motion control shoe on somebody who needs a cushioning shoe, you know, then you could have problems. But they're not likely going to wear that shoe anyway because it's going to feel very uncomfortable. And comfort is one of the biggest factors in what a person chooses to run in. There's actually some research done uh, by uh, one of the schools I've attended at the University of Calgary where that's what they found, that more than anything else, shoe comfort was the biggest factor that dictates what shoe people wear. So if people have no idea what shoe to get, the easiest way is just go to a specialty running shoe store. Many of them have treadmills that put you on the treadmill, look at your running pattern, your gait pattern, and then they can guide you on which category of shoe you need. And then from that category, then it's all about a matter of comfort.
0: Oh, I like that you said that. So if shoes aren't one of the biggest causes of injuries in runners, what is
1: Doing too much too soon is the biggest reason, and weekly volume. There's a few factors, I mean there's actually a lot of research on this, as you can imagine. And so the biggest factors that increase the risk of injury is, is applying the stress too quickly for some body part to adapt, whether it's a, you know, a tendon or, or a bone. So it's really just a matter of systematically how you apply the stress. And then weekly volume, so it seems that when people get over about 40 miles per week, the risk of injury goes up a lot. But again, I mean, there are people who run many more than 40 miles a week, so it all depends on how slowly and systematically you increase the stress. And then being a new runner, you not having experience with running, is one another big risk factor because the actual physical act of running toughens the, the ligaments and the tendons and, and makes them stronger and more resilient. And so that prevents from future injury. And then another big factor is a past injury. So if you've already had plantar fasciitis, that increases the risk of getting it again.
0: So when it comes to people who are super busy, I've got plenty of patients who just can't seem to, or they, they use the excuse, they can't find the time to run. How would you tell people who are who feel like they're too busy What tips would you give them on incorporating exercising as busy parents or busy, busy people?
1: Yeah, it's a good question because, you know, most of our society perceives themselves as being busy. And I think it's because people associate being busy with being important and humans have this almost desperate need to feel important. And so for some reason, we have linked those two concepts that being busy means, oh, I must be important. But the truth is that people always do what they want to do. The want is the significant factor in dictating people's actions. And so when people say they're too busy to exercise, it's really because they just don't want to. You will always find time in your life to do what you want to do, regardless of how many responsibilities you have going on. And social media and reality TV proves that people really aren't that busy. If people were really so busy, they'd have no time to even look at Facebook they have no time to even turn the television on and watch reality TV shows so people really aren't that busy so every time someone says that to me i always get on them about that because people really aren't nearly as busy as they think they are but it really gets to the underlying issue of that they really don't want to do it and so again that goes back to trying to find something about the activity or about the goal that you can relate to and is something that you can that you want to do and then you won't make excuses and say that you're too busy to do it because it'll be something you want to do.
0: That's a great point, and I love that because uh, I I kind of feel the same way. When you have someone who says say they're too busy for this, but they saw a Survivor, you know, that's that's an hour. You know, they could be doing right. something. Yeah. Uh-uh. And, and most of the exercises I give people, they only take like you know two or three minutes, anyway. So, um, but I, but I really like that. Do you feel like that, or in your experience, would you say that children? Under a certain age, maybe shouldn't run a certain distances, or are they okay running these long, long runs with their parents?
1: Uh, it depends on the age. So most kids they take to running very easily, but you do want to be careful with kids who, before they hit puberty, you know, especially with girls because before they have their period, their bones are at some risk. So with women, it's a little bit more complicated because of uh, estrogen estrogen has a huge impact on bone health in women it's the most significant impact on bone health is estrogen and so any time in a woman's life when estrogen is low which most people think of that you know post menopause but but also pre puberty those are times at which a a girl or a postmenopausal woman bones are at risk for stress fracture so girls do need to be careful about doing a lot of long distance because of that reason and even boys before they hit puberty you know they don't have the circulating levels of testosterone, and and so they they can possibly be more prone to injury, and maybe the bigger issue is burnout. If you take you know an eight-year-old kid and they're already running half marathons and trying to even run a marathon, which I don't recommend at that age, you know they may not want to do it anymore by the time they're fifteen or twenty years old. And so I would really start slow with kids and get them to do it as a way to, you know, be, have fun with it and maybe, you know, incorporate running as a part of many other sports. You know, soccer has a lot of running and and just let kids be kids rather than put them on this, you know, no pun intended, but put this put them on this long road to running. But, uh, you know, I would let the kids also make up their own minds. A lot of kids take to running very easily and, and they enjoy it. But uh, you know, I don't think it's the, the wisest thing for, you know, an 11-year-old or 10-year-old to be running marathons. I think that's something you need to mature into and run a lot of other shorter races first before you start taking on, you know, that long endurance activity. Consistency does have the biggest impact on a person's success as a runner. You know, endurance is very trainable, but we also lose it pretty quickly. And so just taking a couple of weeks off of running, there's already significant reductions in some of the physiological factors that influence running performance. But having said that, there's this undulating rhythm of running and of our bodies that needs to be taken into consideration. So like always trying to run high mileage or always trying to do short, fast interval training isn't going to work. There needs to be this undulating rhythm where sometimes of the year you run easy and aerobically and other times of the year you're running fast and anaerobically and to really get in tune with that undulating rhythm, that's gonna get you the best result. And there are certainly times where a short period of time off is very valuable, like right after a marathon. I always have every person I coach for a marathon, they take two weeks off of no running after the marathon. They yell and scream because they don't wanna do that But it's very important to have that time to recover and get ready to rebuild for the next phase of training.
0: Let's get personal with you. So for you, do you follow a certain diet or supplementation program?
1: Uh, Myself, no. I mean, I've been, I guess, one of those lucky ones that, you know, because I started running at an early age, I've always eaten whatever I want. And like I said before, running is the best way to keep the weight off. And so for people who are overweight who pick up running when they're adults and they want to lose weight, they do need to have a much more calorie controlled, nutrient dense diet. But you know, I weigh the exact same now as I did in high school. My weight has never fluctuated because I've been running six days a week for 34 years. And so I, you know, I've always eaten whatever I want. And uh, you know, I don't know if that'll change as I get older, but but running is a great way to keep the weight off and it's a great way to keep you healthy. You know, all my blood work has always been great every year when I get my annual test. And, and so, uh, yeah, I'll indulge. If you put chocolate in front of me, I'm going to take it.
0: <laughs> that's great. That's, that's one of, that's one of the hidden benefits of of running, right? It's being able to eat what you want
1: for the most part, but that can get, you know, I, I got to be careful when I say that because I don't want people to get the wrong idea that, you know, run is not a complete savior. It's probably a 90% savior, but nutrition still matters. You know, I don't want people to get the idea that it, it doesn't matter because it does matter. But, but to a certain extent, you can outrun a bad diet. People always say you can't, but, but the research actually shows quite the opposite. And, and anecdotal evidence also shows quite the opposite, that really genetics and training exert a much greater influence on your physical health, on your body weight, than your nutrition does.
0: Okay, so if people want to get to know more about you or ask you for some coaching, where would they, Where would you direct them to?
1: Uh, well, my website's a good place to start. It's so run-fit.com. And then all over social media is Dr. Jason Clark.
0: And for my listeners, uh, Dr. Karp's got some great programs. I've done I've done his – actually, he's got a writing program as well. He's got uh, a lot of good information up there, so I highly recommend you go check him out. We'll include a link in the blog post. Again, Dr. Karp, thank you for taking the time to be on the show today and wish you the
1: best. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to the Heal Better Fast podcast at www.healbetterfast.com.